Uh, this morning, as you have already seen and experienced, we are celebrating Palm Sunday, that moment that Jesus entered triumphantly into the city of Jerusalem, and the people declared Hosanna, which means save us, and they said things like, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Uh, this morning, we are returning to our series through the New Testament book of Colossians in a series that I've entitled, Christ Over all. And so if you uh, brought your Bible this morning, you can open to Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 24 all the way to 29 this morning. And it is this same Jesus who is Lord and Christ over all and who triumphantly entered into Jerusalem, who as he came into Jerusalem that day, he knew that just a few short days later that he would die on a cross to save his people from their sins, and yet he came knew that a few days after that, that he would triumphantly rise from the dead, conquering sin and evil and Satan and death forever. And he has already won. And so as we enter into this text this morning, I pray that it is an encouragement to you that Jesus is Lord over all and that he has stepped into our reality. He has stepped into our hurt, our brokenness, and a world that is filled with sin, and he has come to save us. So hear God's word this morning now. The Apostle Paul writes to us in Colossians 1. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery, hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Thus far, God's word. Let's pray together and ask for God's blessing over his word this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is powerful, that it is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And Father, we pray that by your grace and your mercy, you might pierce our hearts in a fresh way. Remind us of our need for you. Remind us that you are everything that we could possibly want or need. Lord, you have poured out with extravagance, with abundance, your love, your power, your truth, and your mercy. And so we tune our hearts to you this morning and we give you all the praise. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Three ways here this morning from this short portion of the letter to the Colossians that Paul is going to charge the church, both then and now, this church right here this morning, Paul charges us how we ought to live following Jesus in this world. As always, it's three points. How could I possibly not preach a three-point sermon? But here we are, point number one, and we see this very clearly in Colossians verse one and, or chapter one and verse 24. The church rejoices... In suffering. The church rejoices in suffering. Paul tells us right up front that if we are a Christ follower, that not whether or not suffering is going to happen, but that our attitude and our perspective on suffering, when it inevitably comes, ought to be this. Paul says personally, 
It's not just for you guys. He says personally, now I rejoice in my sufferings. Now you, you can immediately, if we're honest this morning, go, how can that be? How can I rejoice in suffering? Um, I've done extensive study of both the English and the Greek, and I'm here to tell you that the word rejoice has embedded within it the word joy. Are you impressed that I knew that? You shouldn't be. Rejoice, joy. Same word, English, Greek, joy. Paul is not saying happy. He is not saying you're going to be happy all the time. It's going to be great, and you should expect that. He is saying take joy Because we know that happiness will come and go based on circumstances, but the Bible says that joy can last even through difficult times. Unshakable joy. It's the type that you're able to say, yes, things are bad. I'm not living in denial. Things are bad, but I have Jesus, so I'm good. The Lexham Theological Wordbook, see, you know. Smart people here. The the Lexham Theological Wordbook says that the word rejoice in Greek, and actually in Greek, is not only a feeling of joy, but also an action one chooses. Let that sink in for a second. Joy is not just a feeling. It is an action that one chooses. I choose joy is the instruction that Paul is giving to his own heart and to us this morning in hard times. Now, remember, Paul is writing this letter not from his comfy couch. He is writing this letter in a prison, and he is in prison specifically because he will not stop talking about Jesus. That is the context with which he writes these words. And we ought to recognize that this is nothing new under the sun. Political powers, religious powers, and people on the street will hate the good news of the gospel, and they will push back, and those who follow Jesus will suffer. In fact, we know the glorious power of the gospel. Paul used to be one of those people whose mission it was to attack Christians, but then the gospel came to him and and changed him. Acts chapter 5 is one of my favorite little stories, and look at how the apostles themselves handled that moment when, in this case, it was the Sanhedrin, which was both a religious and a political ruling party in Jerusalem, said to the apostles, stop talking about Jesus. Listen to how they react. Acts 5, 40 and 41, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them. It's a great way to start a conversation. They beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and let them go. Then they left, not the apostles, then the apostles left the presence of the council, what? Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name, the name of Jesus. They chose joy despite the fact that they were suffering for the name of Jesus. Okay, this is not like, oh man, I can't seem to get rid of that squeal in my brakes. It's just a hard day, okay? This is that he is suffering because They are suffering because they have chosen to make Jesus everything in their lives. Now, the next phrase that Paul uses here is actually one that's fairly debated among Christian scholars as to precisely what he means. Paul says, I'm filling up what's lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, the church. Now, let's be clear on that. Here's the things that everybody who has studied this passage, here's what they agree on, just to be clear. It doesn't mean that Paul is somehow adding to the work of Jesus or finishing off. You know, Jesus, you didn't quite do enough work on the cross, so let me just jump in there and finish that off and make sure that everybody can be saved. 
It's not what Paul is saying. We, we know that from all of what he's saying in Colossians as well as every other word that he wrote in the New Testament. It does, however, mean that for Paul and for us as believers, that there is a very close relationship between Jesus' suffering and your suffering. Those are not distant concepts because of who Jesus is. And Paul is saying, furthermore, he's saying, I gladly am willing to suffer in this life and following Jesus because I know that it will benefit you, the church. I'm willing literally to stay in prison because I know that God's going to use it to benefit you, the church. Jesus said this about Paul uh, during Paul's conversion to Christianity. This is the scene in Acts chapter 9 where, where Paul uh, is converted on the Damascus Road. And the voice of Jesus says in verse 16, For I will show him, Paul, how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Right up front, Paul's been a Christian for like nine seconds. I'm going to let you know that you are going to suffer for my name. But Jesus says this to all believers, right? In John chapter 15 and verse 18, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. See, the reality here is, guys, suffering and and opposition is normal, is normative in the life of the believer, now, American Christianity, we have very much sought to, to ignore or deny or twist that or sort of push, get, let's get rid of that idea. But the scripture is very clear. And here's the deeper reality. We are always in a spiritual battle as Christians. It's not temporarily, it's not once in a while, it's not just over there in some other country. We are always as believers in a spiritual battle. What kind of battle? The kind of battle in which Satan has already lost. Anyone got an amen for that? Satan is already lost, okay? But God has given Satan permission in this life until Christ returns to take us home that Satan is allowed to attack and mess with us. And he messes with us because every time somebody turns in faith to Jesus and every time somebody trusts God and everybody, every time that someone says, I want to live my life following Jesus, it reminds Satan that he is already lost and he doesn't like it. That's the reality of where we are in this spiritual battle. Um, One of my closest church planting friends is Kevin Bigelow, who is planting Christ Church beaches up in Jacksonville Beach. And uh, we were together a few weeks ago, and he was sharing. He often goes for, in fact, every morning he goes for a prayer walk, and he was out walking and talking to God. And he was specifically praying about areas that he was suffering, areas that he was struggling, uh, not just as a Christian, but even as a pastor, and he said he, he just felt like Satan interrupted his conversation with God with these words. I'll stop if you stop. I'll stop if you stop. Meaning, I'll stop harassing you if you will stop talking about and living for Jesus. How about that? And he said, even in that moment, he said, Forget it, Satan. I'm not stopping. Why? Because we know the scripture says, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Amen, anyone? I know it's in there, guys. We're going to tease it out today. Believer, take joy because God is 
with you in your suffering. I don't know particularly, I mean, I know we're a church family. I know many of your sufferings, but many of you, I don't know what's going on or you know my sufferings, but take joy, the Bible says, because Jesus is with you in your suffering. How do we know? Because Paul says that that the church is his body. In other words, if you mess with the church, you are messing with Jesus. When you get attacked, Jesus takes it personally. Is that not an encouragement? Acts 9, same scene. Saul is supervising the systematic murder of Christians. And Jesus knocks him off his donkey and says what? Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Jesus took it personal. Not why are you persecuting them, why are you persecuting me? See, here's an amazing reality that that I think is hard for us to press in on. That is that suffering draws us closer to Jesus. Did you know that? You may not like it. It's okay. But suffering draws us closer to Jesus. Paul writes in Philippians, another of his prison epistles, Philippians 3.10, I want to know Christ, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. That's a hard verse. Here's a better one. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They refused to bow down to the idols of this world. They say, it doesn't matter what you do. We're not going to worship anybody but the Lord. And they say, okay, fine. And they throw him into the fire. And what do those prison guards say? They say, we're looking into the flames and, and we see not three guys. Didn't we throw three guys into the fire? But there is a fourth and he looks like a God. The pre-incarnate Jesus standing with his people in their suffering. And when they came out, their clothes weren't even singed. They didn't even smell like smoke. Isaiah 43. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. Matthew 28, 20, Jesus gives us the great commission and he ends with the most important words of all of it. He says, and I am with you always. John 16, 33, he gives us the bad news. Hey, they hated me, they're gonna hate you. John 16, 33, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart for I have overcome the world. Take joy, believer. Not only is God with you in your suffering, but he is purposing your suffering for your good and for his glory. Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, we usually hear this verse and we're, we, we say, okay, that means that God is using all things in my life personally for my good. And that is absolutely true. But here's the beautiful thing. It's not only true for you personally, it's true for the church of Jesus Christ. That he has promised that when you suffer, that God will use it for the good of his entire body. That should blow our minds a little bit. Listen to how Paul explains that in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort. The church is called to rejoice in suffering. But secondly, Paul wants to go beyond that. He says, secondly, the church is commissioned 
to proclaim. Church is commissioned to proclaim, and we see this in verses 25 through 28 clearly. Let me reread the, the middle of our passage again. Paul says, Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery, hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Paul says here that we are commissioned as believers really to three things, the mystery, the method, and the mission. In the middle of this, he digs up this this mystery idea. He says there's a mystery, one that for ages, not even the Jews could have guessed what God was ultimately and intentionally up to. Although it's amazing because there were plenty of signs being dropped by our good and faithful God throughout the Old Testament. In Galatians 3.8, it says this about what God was doing in the Old Testament. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. There's the good news. Preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. See, God's plan from before the foundation of the world was that God's salvation would extend not just to the Jews, but to the Gentiles. And that's pretty good news, y'all, because I'm guessing most of us here, Gentiles, right? The Great Commission to every tribe, every tongue, every nation. The mystery of God has now been revealed to us. And not only this amazing reality that the gospel is for all people, but that what the gospel does, that it reconciles sinners, wicked, evil sinners to a holy and righteous God such that sin has separated us, but by his mercy, be amazed at the mystery that God has made a way through Jesus to bring us back together. Not just to be chums, but to be adopted into the family of God, one family. Three times in verse 28, it says everyone, right? Everyone, everyone, everyone. So I think we can probably make the flying leap that the gospel is for everyone. And then he presents the message. In in the letter to the Ephesians, Paul puts it this way. Ephesians 2, 1, here's the bad news. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. Who? Everyone. Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, not your own doing. It's the gift of God. Christ is offering this gift to everyone. Ephesians 2.12 and beyond, he then addresses just the Gentiles. And he says, remember Gentiles, you were once separated from Christ, separated from Israel, separated from the covenant promises, but no longer you have been brought in. And how did that happen? Because your sins have been paid for by the man, Jesus, who is God. He has paid the penalty that you owed and that that you deserved. He's wiped out your sinful record and he's replaced it with his perfect record. And all you need to do is give your life to him. Trust in him. Believe that what he has done has been offered to you and receive that free gift that you cannot earn and you would not earn. And you get peace with God. And oh, by the way, thrown in, you also get peace with one another. Jews and Gentiles, not buddies in the Old Testament. Not really buddies in the New Testament too much either. And yet God has said, I have made all people one, one family, one body in Christ. 
That's the mystery that we've been commissioned to. Okay, well, what do I do with it? He gives us the, the method. Three things there. Always three, guys. Just get used to it, right? He gives us uh, to teach, to warn, and to proclaim. Okay, teaching, pretty straightforward. Anyone in Christ can evangelize. Anyone in Christ can share the good news. Anyone in Christ can disciple someone. Anyone in Christ can, can teach. You don't have to have these. And there is a spiritual gift of teaching, but you don't have to have the spiritual gift of teaching in order to help teach the gospel to our kids and city kids or help teach the gospel to our youth and youth group or lead a city group and help teach the gospel among fellow adults or to share the gospel with a neighbor. Anybody can, can teach. Then he gives us warn. It's the word warn or admonish. And again, any believer uh, can do this, but this is the tough love stuff. We don't want to do this part. That's to love people enough to warn them that sin really is going to destroy your life. And that's loving people enough to be able to, to call them out of the darkness, to call them out of their sin into the glorious light, to speak truth into their lives, even if in the moment they don't really want to hear it. That's warning. If you see that someone is putting their hands on the red hot stove, you warn them. But that's what sin does is it numbs us to the realities and we don't realize what we're doing to ourselves sometimes. And then there's proclaim. And I have great news because all believers are commissioned to proclaim as well. And there's sort of two things going on here and both are very beautiful because Paul says he is a minister of the gospel. Uh, he, he describes himself in different ways, but he's, he's just saying, like, he's a pastor. He's been called to lead the church. We know he's an apostle. Um, we know he's an elder. But he's just describing his distinct role called to be a leader. But at the same time, he says that it is, quote, Jesus that we proclaim. And so it is not just the pastor who's supposed to share the good news. Every believer has been commissioned. The whole church has been commissioned to proclaim which means both our words and our actions communicating the good news of the gospel. Now, and at the same time, not everyone is specifically called to be a pastor or an elder of the church. Uh, In fact, elsewhere, Paul will say to be cautious about even entering into such a commission because it is a high calling. Not everyone is commissioned to specifically preach the word of God, the good news of the gospel every Sunday morning, but we are all commissioned to proclaim the gospel in our daily lives. Now, Paul takes a little bit further and he basically says, well, how are we supposed to do that? And what he says here is to make the word of God fully known. Make the word of God fully known. In Acts twenty twenty seven, it's going to say, preach the whole counsel of God. Preaching or proclaiming is not our opinions. It is not our self-help suggestions. It is not our tips for a better life. It's not our moralism. And it's also not we cut out the parts of Scripture that the world finds offensive. It is preaching and proclaiming the whole counsel of God. R. Kent Hughes writes, People cannot know Christ better without knowing the Scriptures. As the gospel, it's the same good news. Every Sunday, if you are looking for a surprise, you will not find one here because every Sunday, by God's grace, I or whoever is up here is going to preach the same good news of Jesus. It never gets old. 
We never stop needing it. And here's something else cool. It's never going to get better because it's already the bestestest. It can't get any better. It's the good news that Jesus has come to save us. There's nothing that we could do to earn it, and there's nothing that we could do to lose it. How good is the love of God? And that is what we preach and we proclaim. So we've got the mystery, the method, how we're going to do it. And and then they said, well, what's the mission? What's the goal, in other words, for what we're doing? And Paul says it's mature believers in Christ. That's interesting. Mature believers in Christ. Uh, New City's mission statement, to glorify God by being and making disciples of Jesus Christ. Okay, we didn't invent that. It's not our idea. We got that straight from the Great Commission, Matthew 28. Any church, that's their mission. They might put slightly different words to it. If that's not their mission, leave. This, the point here, though, when he says mature Christians, it's not, I got my fire insurance, so I'm good. Christianity. That's not what he's after. It's blood-bought, forgiven, reconciled, justified, sanctified, adopted, sold out followers of Jesus who are growing by his grace in completeness, in maturity, in obedience, and holiness. That's his goal. The Greek word here when it says mature in Christ, the word mature is literally the word perfect. You're like, well, that's a pretty high standard. How am I supposed to be perfect? I obviously cannot live up to that. I tried this morning when I got up and I, I, I blew it between now and, and 10 a.m. Sunday. I already, I already messed it up. Um, it is a perfection that is accomplished and purchased by Jesus on your behalf and is being daily written into your life by the Holy Spirit who is at work in you. Think I'm making it up? Just go back a couple verses. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 22. Jesus has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Mature believers in Christ. I got to go uh, to something special last night. Many of you know Andrew Axum, um, son of Eric and Karen Axum. Um, I met Andrew when he was in eighth grade, and I was a sidekick in youth ministry. And um, I got to go to a party to celebrate his ordination. This morning, he is being ordained as a pastor uh, of a sister church in Orlando. And he wanted to have a party the night before, and he essentially invited people from every part of his life who had impacted him spiritually just to have them over for dinner and for him to get up publicly and say, thank you. And he addressed each person in the room and said, thank you. Here are the specific ways that God worked in my life through you. That's the goal. Not that Andrew's perfect. He's probably sinned once or twice today already too. But to be able to sit and be a part of that and go, Andrew's 31 now. I met him when he was in eighth grade. I'm not the only person, but God worked in him through me. And he is, and will continue to mature in Christ. He's been called to what God has specifically for him. And that ought to be our role within the church that as iron sharpens iron, that we sharpen one another. We've been commissioned to this work. Third and finally, how are we gonna do it? The church is empowered by Jesus. We see this at the end of verse 27. We're going to see it again here in verse 29 at the end. Colossians 1:29. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy 
that he powerfully works within me. Paul's saying that for him and for us that the toil is worth it. I'm probably the only one here that has ever experienced anything like being tired. Burnout. I am tired of getting up and doing the stuff in the house that needs to be done. I don't feel like going to work this morning. I am exhausted by a difficult marriage. I am frustrated by children who I want to follow Jesus, but they keep running in the other direction. I'm frustrated that I keep running in the other direction, that these sins that I want to put to death, they keep coming back. And I keep saying yes to them instead of saying yes to Jesus. I'm, I'm tired of, of fighting. Just me, right? Okay, good. Let's go Greek for a second, right? The Greek word toil specifically is a word that was used for working, which left somebody so weary that it was as if the person had just received a beating. Ever been there? It's Friday. It's 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock, 8 o'clock. All I feel like is I just got beaten all week. And Paul says, you can't sustain that on your own, but I have an idea as to how you, you can do this. Real ministry is going to require, guys, hard work, labor, agonizing. Uh, Jesus says, take up your cross daily and follow me. Mm. Not take up your latte follow me. I love coffee. That's not what he's saying here. So now at this point in the sermon, you're like, I'm sorry. <laughs> was there supposed to be good news? Because I was like here when I walked in and now I'm like right here. Here's the good news. Paul says the energy and the power is not going to come from you. You don't have to do it yourself. Good news. You can't do it yourself, but Jesus can and will work his salvation out in you with fear and trembling because he loves you. He will never leave you. Jesus has come down and done for you what you could not and would not do yourself. He has gone back to heaven soon to return, and he has sent his Holy Spirit to be your comforter, to be your strength, to sanctify you, to grow you, to empower you. You're not on your own. You need, you need evidence of that? How about Paul? He went from murderer to missionary. God can do anything. God is a miracle worker every single day when he changes one single heart from death to life. This is also great news because it's not about me. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. It's not about how cool and how, how trendy and, and how quotable is my sermon. The, the word of God returns never returns void. It's God's word. Preach the whole counsel. You share the gospel with somebody and they go, yeah, I'm not interested. You keep preaching. You keep sharing. It's God's power that's going to bring that person from death to life. He did the same thing in you. All we're doing is one beggar showing another beggar where to buy food. God has done in me what I could never do myself. I just want you to know about this free gift that Jesus has given, not only of salvation, but of himself. Jesus has given himself. In the Old Testament, when, when people would cry out Hosanna, we, we have the word Hosanna in the Psalm, Psalm 118 in particular. When they would cry out Hosanna, 
it very much was a, a term of desperation. God, save me. I'm hopeless on my own. And seeker, if you haven't come to that place, that's where the place that you need to arrive at, which is God, save me. I'm hopeless on my own. But the, the word Hosanna shows up in the New Testament as well. Not just here, but we have this scene with the palm branches and everything where they're yelling, God, Hosanna. And it continues to mean save us. But the way that we see it used in the New Testament is, is slightly different. Rather than saying I'm desperate and I feel hopeless, it's God, save us because salvation has come. Because you are now present, you are here. It's more of an exclamation of just all out praise. God, save us. Salvation is here. And there were many that day who said it, but they didn't mean it. And so, Seeker, I would say to you this morning, search your own heart. Would this be the day that you would genuinely mean, Lord Jesus, save me? And believer, consider the reality of this, this moment when you cry out, Hosanna, Savior, salvation has come. Believer, Jesus has already won. Jesus has already died for your sins. He's already risen from the dead. Your sin and the justice you deserve has been solved. The guilt that you feel has been solved. The shame that you feel has been solved. Walk in that freedom. It allows you to rejoice even in suffering because you will suffer. He has commissioned you, co-missioned you, and invited you into his purposes to reach the world with the gospel. He doesn't need you. He wants you. And it's not on your own. It's by his power. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we praise you. We cry out, Hosanna. We're desperate. We need you. And we're grateful because salvation has come. And so, Father, I pray for anyone who has never bowed the knee to King Jesus, that today would be the day that as they search their hearts, that they would genuinely say, I can't do it. I know I'm a sinner. Forgive me. Give me new life, Lord Jesus. I take myself off the throne, and I want you to be Lord in my life. And Father, I pray for us as believers, Lord, we are not perfect. We admit that freely. We confess to you the multitude of ways that we have sinned, and we are grateful that our sin has been paid for on the cross of Jesus. We are grateful that we have new life in Jesus. We are grateful, Lord, that we can complete what was lacking in that scene when, when people who didn't really believe threw up palm branches, Lord, and threw their cloaks down, Lord. We, we do it in joy, in thankfulness. We praise you and we declare, Hosanna, save us. Salvation has come. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Father, even as I listen to our children walk into place, Lord, I specifically pray over them and ask that they would know and believe and experience the fullness of your love for them. I pray that, that the parents and the grandparents and the friends and the aunts and the uncles and the, the city kids teachers, Lord, that you would just commission them afresh to pour out the love of Jesus into their lives and Lord, give them soft hearts to cry out, Hosanna, save us. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.